HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Cheese lovers, assemble. This fall, Wisconsin Cheese is proudly hosting their first ever Art of Cheese Festival. Head to www.artofcheesefestival.com to snag your tickets and cheese the day. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Friday, September 8th, 2023. And this is our 364th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. This show will be broadcast next week. So today, my guest is the CEO and co-founding partner of a community of businesses based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, including a legendary deli. And we are on location at one of his spots. And we'll get more into that in a minute when I fully introduce him. But first, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solar dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be radical. Don't be afraid of change and to stand for it if it's what you believe in. Yes, be your cause or mission's greatest advocate. The world needs leaders who are thinkers and doers and who are not scared to go against what's popular or the norm. Having an individual voice rather than being just like everyone else is a wonderful and necessary thing, even if it can be intimidating. Without change, we would be living in a stagnant world, to say the least. So let's think differently and be radical. It's a better way to be. That's my tip today. Okay, I am super excited because I am on location in Ann Arbor, Michigan, my hometown college of the University of Michigan, go blue. And my guest today is Ari Weinswig. Am I saying that correctly? Close enough. Okay. And he is the radical CEO and co-founding partner of the Zingerman's Community of Businesses, which includes the legendary Zingerman's Delicatessen here in Ann Arbor, which opened over 40 years ago 
in addition to 13 other businesses, which are all in the area as well. And he has 23 managing partners. Recognized by Inc. Magazine as one of the world's 10 top CEOs and by the James Beard Foundation as one of the who's who of food and beverage in America and the recipient of a Bon Appetit Lifetime Achievement Award, Ari has chartered a new path for creating and growing a business. Rather than replicate the original and now iconic Zingerman's Delicatessen, Ari and his partner Paul Saginaw made the conscious decision to create very different businesses with their own managing partners that would instead replicate the original Zingerman's values, which Ari has continued to expand upon and write about extensively. He's the author of a four-part series, Zingerman's Guide to Good Leading. He does a lot of public speaking and he has an e-newsletter. And without further ado, hi Ari, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That was a, that was a nice marketing tip. <laughs> I try to tie my tip into uh, what I think um, yeah. ties to my guest, and I, I'm glad you like it. I was wondering. <laughs> well, it sort of sums up our 41 years, but yeah. Yeah, and amazingly, so I, when I started doing this this show, uh, I didn't know I was going to be doing up now over 350 episodes, mm. but I come up with a tip every week, so I hadn't used that one. Oh, it's a new one. It's a good and one. And it's for you, so, because the radical thinking. So, um Let's start out. I always like to start with my guests and find out about their background and okay. how they got into the industry. Yeah. So you want to take us back? I'll take you back. Uh, I came to Ann Arbor from Chicago, which is whatever, four hours drive west of here. I went to school where you did, University of Michigan. Woo-hoo. I studied Russian history, which is still fascinating and a particularly painfully poignant subject to be connected to right now for obvious reasons, uh, and I also studied anarchism, speaking of radical, uh, quite a bit. Uh, they don't put it on the marketing or fundraising brochures, I'm sure, or websites, but Michigan has the largest anarchist collection in the country in the graduate library, so you went here and you didn't even know. Uh, so I used to go up there and study, and uh, after graduating with my history degree, there's nothing, of course, you can do with a history degree except get more degrees, which is what I was supposed to do. But I wasn't quite ready for that. And mostly when I graduated, I just knew I didn't want to move back home. Uh, And so I decided I would stay here, which actually now I really love the town. At the time, it was kind of fine, and I didn't know where else to go. So I just decided I'd stay here. And uh, I had driven a taxi part-time while I was in school, which was fine but unremarkable. And uh, one of my college roommates was waiting tables at a restaurant in downtown Ann Arbor, which it's a small town, so downtown is 10 to 15 minutes from the edge of town, from whatever direction you're going. And uh, so I went in there, applied for a job as a server. Uh, they interviewed me. They said they'd call. They didn't call. I went back, reapplied as a busboy. Once again, they didn't call. They waited two more weeks. I was running out of money, so I went back and offered to do anything. And uh, they offered me a job washing dishes, and I took it. So I'm sure you interview many people, and I have many friends in the industry who, you know, whatever, their grandmother was an amazing cook, and they loved food, and they, since the time they were nine, they were sure this is what they were going to do. Or, And I'm completely the opposite. I mean, my mother was a good person, but not a good cook. Uh, I got a new, the most recent publication out is on food philosophy. And uh, the first line is something like, once every week or so, my mother fed us fish sticks. 
So I grew up on, you know, Kraft macaroni and cheese, Mrs. Paul's fish sticks, Pop-Tarts, Tang, Captain Crunch, and all that. So I had really no culinary background whatsoever. And then also nobody in my family was in business. They were all teachers, doctors, lawyers, dentists, psychologists. That's what I was supposed to do, too, but I failed. Uh, and so I really just stumbled into work that I really love. Uh, so I still go home and cook every night, which is like 11 o'clock at night by the time I get home. And I met great people. So Paul Saginaw, who you mentioned, was the general manager at the restaurant. So that's how we met. Uh, it was his first day there. He had been promoted from being bar manager at uh, one of their other places. So that's that's how I got started in food. And then uh, I started prepping and line cooking and managing kitchens. So my original background was all back of the house. Uh, Paul left about halfway through the four years that I worked for that restaurant group and opened a little fish market here in town, Monaghan Seafood Market, which... I know people on the coast have a hard time believing, but it's actually one of the best in the country still. And uh, he and I stayed friends. And, you know, like so many people in the industry, we would talk off and on about doing something together. And uh, fall of 81, which is now like ancient history, I gave my two months notice over there. It wasn't like I hated going to work, but, uh, you know, it's just less and less interesting. I've written now in uh, part two of the leadership series, there's a whole piece about good work and good work is what I would say is vocation and contrasted to a good job which is fine but not inspiring like the pay is fine it's fine but it's not changing your life and so that's kind of what I had a good job so I just decided it was time to do something else and I gave two months notice and I didn't really know what was going to be next and Paul called me like two days later and he goes hey man there's this building coming open near the fish market Let's go check it out. And uh, he had grown up in Detroit where you could get good deli food. In Chicago, you could get it, but you couldn't get it here. So I have no idea how we went this fast. But within about a week, we decided we were going to open. And then we renovated the old building, did the menu, costed the recipes, priced everything, set it up, and opened on March 15th. So in four and a half months or whatever, we went from initial conversation to being in business. Wow, that's incredible. So the original Zingerman's, when you first opened, yeah. you had, um, you you were focusing, what was the menu like? So in the spirit of your marketing tip, uh, it was kind of in a weird way. Like now it wouldn't be thought of as so radical, but at the time it was. But the original space was 1,300 square feet. Uh, the building was built in 1902. Uh so we had, from the beginning, a lot of the traditional Jewish stuff that he and I had both grown up with, which everybody listening will know, chopped liver and chicken soup and corned beef and all that. But then we also had what's now called specialty foods, but at the time was just considered weird and definitely in the Midwest was not, uh, extra virgin olive oil in 1982 was not exactly common conversation. So, uh, and then also because we were, intent on trying to stay in business and not go out of business we uh where the deli is is, is the traditional uh you know, sort of middle class black neighborhood in town uh ann arbor like everything on what's known as the i-94 corridor from chicago to detroit had a lot of underground railroad uh, stops this was on the way to canada for people to get to freedom so there's a long-standing tradition of a healthy black community here and that where the deli's building was was in that neighborhood so we sold ham hocks we sold greens 
Uh, we sold cigarettes because we wanted to get people in the door. You know, we had milk cheap. I mean, so basically, like anybody that gets into business, we wanted to stay in business. So the main thing was, you know, corned beef, chopped liver, chicken soup, uh, matzo balls, and, and all that. But then we had a little bit of imported cheese and prosciutto. And back in those days, as anybody who's my age will know, but most people probably aren't, there was like two goat cheeses in the whole country. And was very difficult to get uh, what's now readily available in the context of artisan food. Yeah, absolutely. Was it, was it, so what was the, the, the progression? Was it an instant hit or you were sort of uh, like, when did, when did, when did Zingerman's become a phenomenon? Like the, was there a breaking point or some, an article that came out that was like, changed? No, I don't know. I mean, I'm a history major. I think phenomenon are more determined by other people later, and it's more of a belief about it than... Yeah. You know, so if you get a big article written about you, you're not any different than you were the day before. But I think for us, it's just been more gradual, and I put a lot of value in sticking with things for a long time, and much of the world especially in the last 20 years with with the web has been uh led to believe that things are supposed to happen really quickly and really yeah. i think in nature good things happen very very slowly and uh so it's just if you just keep working at it over long periods of time good things happen it's just you may not get I don't know. Were we a success? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean we were kind of busy, but <laughs> we've never really known what we're doing. We're just trying to figure it out, and that's true today, and that was true then. You know. Well, I was in school from 91. I graduated in 95, mm-hmm. so early 90s. And I remember, yeah, you had to, like, kind of leave the center of campus to go to this yeah. really special deli, and yeah. you took you took your parents there when... They came into town, and there was always a line. It's still there, true now, yeah. The bakehouse we opened in 92. Okay. We're, we're sitting right now about 150 feet from the bakehouse. Where we are with Zing Train and all yeah. the roadhouse, and yeah. you have, I mean, you've you've expanded a lot in the past yeah, 30 years. Yeah, just over 40 years, so it's, right. it's, yes, if you go from 82 to whatever we're in, 2023, yeah. it seems like a lot, but if you just... It's kind of like your 401k. We just grow a little every year, and then yeah. over 20, 30 years, it looks like a lot. No, it's interesting because some I have interviewed, um, I don't know, I recently interviewed uh, Rodolfo Guzman, who has a restaurant in Chile of Barago, mm. or Barago, as he says. Um, and his he was, like, struggling in business, and then he got a break. Like uh-huh. being on Latin America's World oh, 50 yeah. Best no, List. We never so had I've had like some, that. some people I've interviewed have had those. A lot of, like, it's interesting, some of the world's 50 best, that list of people, a lot of them were like kind of just getting by and uh-huh. then they get an accolade or you get a New York Times review, you get something. Yeah. So we've had those things, but they don't, I don't know, they don't make as much difference as people claim they're going to, in my experience. And I don't mean they're yeah. not helpful, but it's nothing's like, you know, we were here and then boom, like it's more just. Right. But when you first opened, so did you, did yeah. you think you would be where you are today? No, I didn't think I'd live to be 30. Uh, 
<laughs> so in the in the pamphlet before the food philosophy pamphlet is called the story of visioning at Zingerman's, and it's got all the background on our visioning work. So we didn't now, as we may or may not get into, but we do extensive work with the process that we call visioning. Uh, so we actually write the story of our future uh, before it happens, and it's that process is wholly integrated into the way we do everything. So we, we don't start a project without writing a vision. We have our vision written for 2032 uh, as an organization, each of the businesses writes visions, etc. But in 1982, we didn't know anything about any of that. But I, there's an essay in part one of the book called 12 Natural Laws of Business, and it's my belief that all healthy organizations, it says business, but it's true for not-for-profits, it's true for church groups, basketball teams, countries, uh, it doesn't matter, individuals, everybody who's thriving is living in harmony with those natural laws, like they're just like gravity, and they don't have to know what they are, they just are doing it because to them it seems instinctive or obvious. So we, we had a vision in our heads, even though we didn't write it down, which is how most people start a business. Uh, we knew from the beginning that we wanted something really unique and special, not like a replica of New York or Chicago or Detroit. Uh, we knew we wanted a great food and great service and a great place for people to work and do it in a very down-to-earth setting. We never wanted it to be snooty or elitist. We wanted to be, make the food as accessible as possible to anybody who was interested. We knew from the beginning that we only wanted one. You sort of referenced this when you were describing what we do, and I'm not judging those who open multiple units of the same thing. It's just never been interesting to me. Um, I like the places where there's one, and I still remember it 20 years later. And, you know, when I go to the seventh one of a something, it's fine, and it might be more convenient, and they probably make way more money than we do, but it's just not that interesting. And I'm, I'm much more drawn to in the context of your marketing tip to the originals. And so we knew from the get-go, like, this is just going to be the only one. So that was our vision. That was the vision. And do you, do you anticipate, or you don't know, maybe more concepts coming? Yeah, it's in, the, so we, we, we know what our future is that we're going after. It's, it's, it's our, uh, it's in our 2032 vision. So yes, there will be more Zingerman's businesses as our intent in our, we call it the Zingerman's community of businesses. Uh, and the vision is like 10 pages long. It's not the business school three line thing. And so whatever they are need to be aligned with our values and our mission, et cetera, et cetera. They need to be here in the Ann Arbor area because we have a strong, we have a strong belief about doing business in the place in which we reside, which is again, different than many people, but can get into that if you want and then uh, there always needs to be a managing partner you reference the partners so we we really want somebody who's going to be on site who has a passion for what that business is going to do and no disrespect to managers that open businesses and then move on it's just the, the big thing for me is like 20 years later 15 years later who's still in there trying to make it better because getting open startups are a ton of work but at the same time it's only the beginning Right. And so having a big flash and a big splash and a lot of press is great, but it's then if five years later it's not really radically better than, it, to your tip, radically better than it was when it started, then what's the point, you know? And so 
so and then what we do is driven by what the prospective partner wants to do because it's I got a million ideas that's not hard the hard part is who's going to do it and uh, in the new vision we actually open ourselves up to doing Zingerman's businesses that fit all of that but aren't in food yeah well well I reference Zing train well Zing train is kind of an exception when we started Zing Train the way we figured that was our originally our intent was to have client we thought we would mostly have food business clients and so it seemed food related it's played out that that wasn't the truth the reality but that was the original frame but this is now saying out loud that we're open to I don't know a tattoo shop a jewelry shop a really world-class gas station i don't know i mean it could be whatever you know comes up yeah but all in ann arbor you're not coming to me in new york city anytime soon well we are because there's a pop-up from the deli coming i think on october 6th or 7th oh exciting yeah and you're going to be in new york at the welcome conference i'm going to be in new york at the welcome conference in 10 days i have a ticket okay well i'll see you there too (laughs) i'm excited to hear you speak i've been to I don't know how many over over somewhere between five and ten of the welcome wow. conferences. Well, I've been to a bunch. First yeah, one, so. yeah, it's great. It's really great. It brings it brings the hospitality community together, and it's always very inspirational. Okay. I'll try to contribute. I, I I have no doubt, no doubt. And um, I I don't know if you know this, but a couple years ago, when was it? Well, it's twenty twenty two, actually last year. I had Amy Imberling on my podcast. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. She was great. Um, I, I don't know if she's around, but one of your original uh, bakers. I was just in a meeting with her. Well, she's a longtime partner. I mean, she's been a yeah, partner yeah. for 23 years. Uh, and she was also one of the original bakers. Um, yes, I just had a meeting with her this morning, but I don't know where she is right this instant as we're sitting here. Okay. Well, I hope to say hi to her, but I love chatting with her and getting yeah. and hearing her. Her, I mean, she she shared a bunch of oh, yeah. you know her experience with this yes. with your with Zingerman's and and of course, I mean, yeah, I'm so excited to be here and and in Ann Arbor and and experience as many of the Zingerman's concerts yeah, as on. I can. Um, so let me ask you my question from my last guest. I go. Oh, question right, to right, question, right. show to show. Um, so I had on episode 363, I had on Alex Stupak, who's the chef and co-owner of Empion Restaurant Group and Misha in New York City. And Alex wants to know, he said, having looked at Zingerman's menu and seeing Russian dressing flying around everywhere, mm-hmm. he knows mayonnaise is in the mix. Yes. So for you personally, mayonnaise, yes or no? And if yes, what brand is in your fridge? You mean my at my house? It's the same brand. It's I. I mean, I'm not like a giant mayonnaise eater, but yes, man, we use mayonnaise. We use Hellman's. Okay. We're my not from my the south, but yeah. Good to it, know. I asked. I mean, I I said asked Alex. I said same thing to him because I'm yeah. yeah I usually I'm mayonnaise. I I'm Hellman's. Um, he had a brand um, McCormick's that he likes huh. that apparently. With a with a lime, but um, yeah, he's pro mayonnaise. Okay, are people anti mayonnaise? I think some Seems people are. I think some low people importance in the scheme of the world. But yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, 
It's a chef question going to yeah, a, okay. a restaurateur who has been thinking um, more about the state menus. of democracy <laughs> and the war on Ukraine. But anyway, yes. yeah. But that, I mean, I feel so. Th- I mean, but that, not a lot or any of the anyone I've interviewed on this podcast, I've introduced as being a radical CEO or a leader. Like, I mean, that's something that's within you, I believe that, or is it something? Well, I wrote a whole giant book about beliefs. Yeah. Um, and I would say from what, what my own studies, like they're all learned. And then over time they're within you, you know, so it's not like you're, anybody's born that way but through whatever experiences we have as children as adults it, it forms our belief system and yeah I guess that's mine I mean it's it's ever evolving and I keep learning and the welcome conference I'm going to speak about the revolution of dignity and why it matters um, but yeah we're trying to find creative meaningful ways to work you know so we do a lot of things which i can get into if you want but that are sure well we're open i just wrote a piece in the e-news which you probably have in your inbox from wednesday uh about open book management which we didn't invent it came from the good people at springfield remanufacturing in springfield missouri but it's a system that involves everybody and I say everybody in quotes because not everybody wants to, but everybody who's interested to get involved in the finances and running of the business. Uh, we've been practicing servant leadership for 30 years. It comes from Robert Greenleaf, uh, whose book from 1978 or 79 called uh, Servant Leadership is really about the leader's role is to serve the organization, not the other way around which nobody ever disagrees with conceptually, but it's really the antithesis of the typical uh, American business belief, I think, which is that you start the business for your own benefit. This is where you start the business for everyone else's benefit. And yes, of course, we want to get something out of it at the same time. But uh, we have been running the organization for 29 years by consensus of the partners. So that's uh, as you mentioned, the partners group is whatever, 22, 23 people right now. So quite different. Uh, all our meetings are open, quite different. Uh, we have 200, just, just went up this month, 260 approximately staff that are going to share in the business. Uh, and we just formally rolled out after many years of work in January, we rolled out our, uh, what's called a perpetual purpose trust, which is a whole other conversation but basically it's uh, me and Paul gifting the intellectual property to itself and over time more and more shares will go into the uh, ownership of the staff so that the business can't be sold and so that 50 years from now long after we're gone there's still a Zingerman's here in town and it's not owned by seven different corporations in whatever Dubai or Denver or it's amazing. So it's that's amazing. just a few, but yeah. we do a lot of that. No, how do you, I mean, how do you manage your time? Well, I wrote a whole essay on time management <laughs> uh, in, in the third book, which is on managing ourselves. I don't know. I just manage it. I mean, I. Yeah. it's a lot of what I wrote. I mean, I, I, my belief is most people have an unhealthy relationship with time. They're always mad at it because there isn't more, but there isn't going to be more so it doesn't really help to be mad at it um and then i just 
it's a lot of conscious choice. So I wrote a whole essay on free choice. Like most of us have been raised to act like we, we claim to like free choice, but we act like we have no choice. Like I have to go to work. It's like, no, you don't have to go to work. There's just consequences of everything, you know? And so owning my choices and then being really conscious of where I put my time and looking at it like an investment. And I don't mean in money, but just in whatever it is I want to get back. So there's things I've, you know, not religiously, but basically given up over the years because I wanted to spend the time on other things. So, you know, I stopped watching sports because it's not bad, but it takes up half a day and I'd rather work on writing, you know. Yeah. Uh, I stopped going to parties because I don't like them and I'm an introvert and it was exhausting and not enter- not fun and I'd rather stay and go to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so there's no judgment on other people for doing those. It's just trying to spend the time where I want to spend it and everybody gets to just decide where they want to spend their own. Yeah, no, it it makes sense, and it's um, yeah, figuring out what works for you and maybe yeah. doesn't work for everyone else. No, totally, and I, you know, like I, I never go anywhere without a book, really, other than running. Uh, I run every day. I journal every morning. Uh, you know, it's I cook yeah. every night. I mean, these are just things that work for me. But like other people yeah. are extroverts; they want to go to parties. No judgment. Yeah, no, everyone's individual and their own preferences. And speaking yeah. of books, I brought a copy of my new book okay, for you. Okay, I'll take it. Um, awesome. Called Chef Wise. And before I'm we take, get wiser. Well, you're pretty wise. <laughs> I have to say, very, very wise. But um, before we take a break, my last question is, so what's your top advice for, I mean, this is a book of chef's advice, Mm -hmm. uh, but as a a restaurateur, as a a leader in the industry, what's your, what's your top advice for someone who maybe wants to follow? I don't know if someone, I don't think someone could follow your career path exactly. Well, I don't want them to. I want them to follow their own path. Yeah. Well, your tip was good uh, up front. I mean, the book, the business books and whatever, there's seven pamphlets that aren't in the books. That's me trying to share what I have learned a lot by screwing up and a lot by studying other people's stuff and, and, and trying to assimilate it into what we do. But I guess I've started, my, my anarchist studies have led me to stop ranking things and being hierarchical in my thinking. So I, I would say the number one tip is to stop looking for the number one tip because everything matters. And a good one. People are looking for the one thing that's going to fix all their problems, but there isn't. Uh, and it's the search for the one thing that leads to industrial agriculture, that leads to, you know, the belief you're a failure if you're not the whatever most popular restaurant on whatever ranking service, you know, and, and, and understanding that the world is complex and the way you greet the dishwasher matters enormously. You know, the salt in the soup level matters enormously. Uh, it, it all matters. It all matters. And on that note, let's take a little break. Okay. So we will take this break and then we're going to come back and we'll play my speed round. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Cheese lovers, assemble! 
from September 29th through October 1st, Wisconsin Cheese is proudly hosting their first ever Art of Cheese Festival this fall in the home of cheese, Madison, Wisconsin. Over the course of the festival, you can learn how to pair cheese like a pro. Art of Cheese is thrilled to offer classes on pairing cheese with wine from industry's leading sommeliers, cocktails from spirits experts, chocolate, and coffee, yes, coffee, from a former cheesemonger. At Art of Cheese, you can level up your artisanal cheesemaking knowledge with a curds on, deep dive amongst the cream of the crop, and celebrate all things cheese by dancing the night away as the bell of the Wisconsin cheese ball. You won't want to miss out on this pastured paradise. Run, don't walk to www.artofcheesefestival.com to snag your tickets and cheese the day. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is R.A. Weinswig, the CEO and co-founding partner of Zingerman's Community of Businesses in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I always, I'm, pronunciation is not my strongest point. So say your last name for me. Well, it's easy to say in German or Yiddish, but it's hard to say in English. But in Yiddish or German, it would be Weinswig. But Weinswig. You could just say Ari and we don't have to worry about it. Okay, I've just, it's like looking at it on paper or on yeah. my computer. I, 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 I didn't think I would have a challenge with it, but it's a little challenging. It's hard to say in English. Okay. It makes your mouth go in funny ways. But it sounds really nice when you say it. I mean, it's like, well, yeah. Not when I, so, okay. All right. It's yeah. time for my speed round. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? At home. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Depends on the weather, but outside (laughs) if it's nice out and there's no mosquitoes. (laughs) Makes sense. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Uh, I really don't drink much anymore, not out of antipathy, but I'm trying to stay awake as much as possible, and uh, I got a lot to do, so I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't claim any of them as a huge preference. Okay. My, my significant other, she would choose sparkling wine. I would probably choose sparkling water. <laughs> got it. How about tasting menu or a la carte? Definitely a la carte. Small plates or large plates? Well, it depends what it is, but if you're asking for a main course, large plates. But I would still order a lot of plates and not eat all of it. Like a true, true restaurateur. That's, yeah, I always over order. Yeah. <laughs> okay, communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all inclusive charge? You mean, do I like one better than the other? This game can be interpreted however In you you see Tipping. it. Tipping. Yeah, that one has been that's like the most. It's 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 been interesting because I've I've started. Yeah, I started doing this podcast in 2014. Yeah. And there was a time where I think the beginning was all tipping, and then it kind of moved to all inclusive, and now it's, kind it's of, back. A little more people like to tip, but I think people also I think. 
generally speaking, we'll say like all inclusive is easier, you know, but I think people in the industry mostly yeah. say, we'll say they like to tip. Tipping has many issues. Yes. A hundred percent. And yeah. I'm used to it and I don't, yeah, it's what I'm not culturally. The, I'm not the one who's leaving a dollar on a hundred dollar check. So that's causing right. the problem. So. Yeah, but that is that is or harassing servers or all the other problematic issues that go with it, which could be a whole other show. It is, <laughs> and I'm not disputing any of those issues. But if you're yeah. asking on a speed round, which one is easier yeah. for me? That's it. I know, I know, I get it. Okay, I have a couple more: Zingerman's Reuben or the Georgia Reuben. Mm. Well, they're both really good, I guess. Go with the corned beef. Okay. Just trying to decide what I was going to have for lunch. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't know. And I, 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 I don't know. I've been thinking about it. But I definitely, I was like, I definitely want to get a Reuben. <laughs> so good. So good. Okay. Michigan football or basketball or another sport? Well, like I said, I've stopped watching. Yeah. Uh, I live in Ann Arbor. So as I try to explain to people, like, I'm not, this is said with respect, I'm not like the most rabid fan, but you sort of like what I imagine living in Rome. If you're not Catholic, like you still need to be attuned to what's going on and you still pay attention. So I always know how they're doing and what's happening, but I don't go to the, you know, I'm working. I'm not going to the game. Right. I, I, I hear you on that. Um, okay. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Ann Arbor? Ann Arbor. That was that was the easiest one of the whole game, right? Yeah. I was gonna ask you earlier, like how I mean, how has you've how has the city changed or over the past forty years? I mean, is it well, and is your clientele mostly is it is it Zingerman is it uh, Michigan students and faculty or is it a mix of how has the town changed is hard for me to say because i've been here the whole time so yeah it's a little like how have you changed like you kind of know what you were like 40 years ago but not really uh i'm sure that it's you know i just wrote a piece in the e-news in 1982 you know whatever phones were on walls uh, interest rates were 18%. Gas was a dollar. Hardly anybody paid with credit cards. Checks were like a normal method of payment. Uh, prices were a lot lower. Yeah. Uh, the Cold War was still going on, you know. So it was different a, world. It was a different world in that sense, and I'm sure the town is bigger and whatever. Uh, I think that we've never really, like students are important, but not the main part of our business. Uh, we probably do more student business now than then even because the deli because now we have delivery from the mm-hmm. deli and because more students have cars, I think. That's just my opinion. I don't know if it's actually factual. But uh, but we've we generally always lived more on the people who live on the students being here than on the students themselves. Yeah. So we're not on, as you alluded, we're not on campus. And I know it seems odd, but it's a long walk in the winter. Uh, and most yeah. people probably 
more people probably live, as you know, on whatever that is, the south side of campus than on the north side of campus. So, you know, I was, it's a short school year here. So yeah. you just start like the beginning of September and school's over by the middle of April. So we're in Ann Arbor. It's not like there's, there's not that many days where you want to walk a mile, of, you know, in 30 degree weather. No, I remember one summer I stayed up here for the summer. That was nice, but it's still. It's nicest yeah. in the summer because there's less people here. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so we've always existed on a mix of people, locals, people coming through town like you are this weekend, uh, younger people, older people. Ann Arbor has, uh, I, I think, an enormously eclectic population because of, it's not just the university, but because of the university, there's a lot of high-tech, healthcare, technology, uh, you know, just a lot of interesting companies. And so it's like if I'm working the floor at the Roadhouse, it's not unlikely that on a Friday night there's somebody in there who's like a Pulitzer Prize winner and somebody else who's a you know, well-known author, but you won't really know who they are because it's a generally down-to-earth and humble town. Yeah. Um, and people don't make a big fuss out of it, so... Like the governor comes in, Debbie Dingle, our congressperson, comes in. You know, they're all in there, but it's not a lot of hubbub. Right. Well, I mean, from sitting here and chatting with you, you're very, I would say, chill is a word I would use, I feel. I wrote a whole pamphlet on humility, (laughs) and none of us are any better than anybody else, and I'm no better than the person we might have fired last week. I mean, we're all just doing our best to figure stuff out, and... Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of reasons you've been so successful, and I love that you share all your knowledge with the world. Well, it's good for me, too, because it makes me learn stuff every time. Yeah, very, very cool. Okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article that just came out in the New York Times. Yeah. It's entitled, The New Reality of College Dining Halls, Dozens of Dietary Restrictions. As a surge of students with allergies and special diets is challenging meal services and changing the shape of the campus cafeteria. This is by Priya Krishna. So you saw this piece? I saw it briefly, yes. Yeah, it's interesting because it says now one in six of those of students has an allergy or dietary restriction. At least this was from... Um, they, that was from, they started out talking about Michigan State University yeah. and, and it said just five years ago there, it was only one in, it was one in eight. Yeah. Um, and so the article is talking about the growing number of students, um, that have dietary restrictions and how dining halls are, you know, what yeah. they're doing, making accommodations like allergy free station at Vanderbilt, but yeah. every school is dealing with it a little differently. And I figured when, as soon as I saw the title of this, I'm like, all right, this would be good to talk with you about considering we're I'm here not, on a I'm not in that business but you're uh, not but we're we're here in have, Michigan yeah so kids. what's the question well I mean it's more just a discussion if you have any take on this being I mean when I think back to when I was in school I feel I had a couple friends that had allergies but it wasn't yeah. as common and it wasn't it wasn't this has become I think I yes. think colleges are are struggling and figuring out how to deal with um, the fact that so many students now have allergies and what's the best way to accommodate them? Yeah, well, I'm not a nutritionist. Uh, 
and my only allergy, thankfully, is to mosquitoes, which is yeah, a great yeah. allergy to have, but it is what it is. But, I, I mean, I, we're, we're outside my expertise, so I'm just another person trying to figure it out from the outside. It, yeah. It, uh, I like the work of Zach Bush, the physician, uh, and others who point to the introduction of Roundup, uh, which I'm completely drawing a blank on the actual name, uh, which was around the time we opened the deli, and uh, the correlation between that and the statistically radical increase in uh, allergies, intolerances, autism, learning disabilities, etc. And it's clearly it's in the food system and it makes sense. I'm, but again, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not here to say that's the truth. It's just, it's a, it's a explanation that made sense to me. Um, but it's clearly not going down. Uh, it's going yeah. up. Now, you know, that said, if people were eating more holistic food over 20 years, maybe it would go back. I don't really know. But you got to interview a nutritionist who does this for a living. I'm just another consumer who's yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I just I just thought it would be it was interesting to bring up this article, being yeah. that it's it's it is. I mean, what what it, one thing it pointed out is that unlike restaurants or high school cafeterias, college and university dining halls have to feed thousands of people, providing yeah. breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night snacks, and sometimes students may not have a choice but to be a part of the meal plan it's like a part of it so yeah. they kind of they kind of have to figure figure out um a system and one one of the schools was working with a program called thrive at owen which um a four-year dining hall that's um uh free of nine major food allergens listed by the Food and Drug Administration. I mean, basically, this article is pointing out that all schools are trying to figure it out and there there isn't, like, one cookie-cutter way. No. And it's changing all the time anyway. Yeah, true. But I, you know, I have, let me put it this way. We deal with all those things in the restaurant world. Yes. It's a different construct, but it's still the same issues and we're just trying to be as sensitive and effective as we can be. So whether, you know, every other table, not in a bad way and not blaming them, but there's allergies and sensitivities. So we just do our best. And it's, you know, as we always tell people, like it's, you know, whatever, if you're at the deli, there's peanuts in the building. But yes, this sandwich doesn't have, is, is made with ingredients that have no peanuts in them, but I can't guarantee that somebody didn't walk by and drop one yeah. when no one was looking. And, you know, but I think most people who have those, uh, I mean, sometimes it's more than allergies by far. Like if you have celiacs, it's not just a sensitivity, it's a, it's a major issue. Yeah. But they're used to navigating the world, and our job is just as best we can to make it as manageable for them and as enjoyable experience as we can. Yeah, that I mean, I think that is, I mean, to that point, like, I think some people have, they have severe allergies, and then some people have intolerances, and some yeah. people just don't like yeah. stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's become, I don't, as, as you said, like, I don't think, I, I, I hate to say it, but I do think this number will probably keep going up with people having allergies unless... Yeah. 
for world changes. So you changes. can interview Zach Bush and see what he says. All right, I'll put him he's on a, the list. He's a physician. <laughs> I'm just a history major. Yeah, no, no, I um, I mean, I'm not an expert on it either, of course. No, so most I'm people just, aren't, um, and I don't think anybody has a hundred percent guaranteed yeah. answer. It's, but it is a reality, and yeah. it's not just allergies. It's you know, there's clearly like other issues around autism and learning disabilities, et cetera, that are challenging. Challenging indeed. So, all right, well, check out the article. It's a yeah. big, it's a big piece, and there was, there yes. was, we're just, we just touched on that a little no, bit. Of course. So, okay, so time for my solo dining experience. Okay. So, this week it's at Ross and Daughters. Okay. Are you familiar? Oh yeah. Figured. Uh, okay, so here's the rundown. The location. 502 34th Street at 10th Avenue in the Hudson Yards area of New York City. Is this, this a new This new is a spot? brand new spot yeah. that opened. I know Nikki. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It opened about six weeks ago. Yeah. Maybe even less. Um, the concept, it's a New York culinary and cultural icon known for its highest quality appetizing foods like smoked fish, caviar, bagels, yep. bialis, vodka. So the owner, so it started with Joel Russ. Yeah. And then he had three daughters, hence yeah. the name, yeah. um, Hattie, Ida, and Anne. And then then it was taken over by Mark Russ Fetterman, who's Anne's son. And so now the fourth generation of this family business is Nikki, as you said, Nikki yeah. Russ Fetterman and her cousin, Josh Russ yeah. Tupper. Um, why'd I go? Well, I'm a, I love bagels and locks and yeah. who doesn't like Russ and daughters. And this was a new spot yeah. nearish where I live. And so I decided to check it out yeah so my experience so it was like the first weekend they opened in new york which yeah. is my mistake or my blessing or whatever you want to call it to go but it was yeah. i walked never in never go when it's new yeah yeah it was you took a ticket when you walked into the door and um i looked at the numbers on the board and i think i was like 50 away and i was like am i gonna wait this out i'm like i'm gonna wait it out so it took, it was, I think I waited like, I mean, over 20 minutes. I mean, it was yeah. a while, but it was like a scene. Pretty quick, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and once I called my number, I went up to the deli counter, which I could barely see over, um, being short. But um, I placed my order, and and then I went and paid at the register, and, and then um, I ate standing by the window um, on the ledge just to be a part of it. Uh, it's a very nice... Nice, pretty spot. So what did I get? Well, I got the classic bagel and lock sandwich on an everything bagel with tomato, onions, and capers. I And then I got some treats, um, which I didn't eat all of there, but uh-huh. I got a black and white cookie. Uh-huh. I got two pieces of rugula and a piece of babka. They had like okay. individual pieces. Yeah. And I got a cold brew. Oh, My yeah. take? What's not to love? I mean, it's like if you're a bagel and locks person, this is this is the place yeah. to go. And uh, desserts were great, too. And it's just it's it's you know, they're they've been expanding, you know, growing the business. So it's nice to have them on my side of town and the you know, the west side. So the ambiance. So it's a corner location. It's got big floor to ceiling windows. It has this um the counter front where you or the the deli where you go up and order behind um, the the different delicatessens on display. Um, it's 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 very it's modern, but it's still I feel it holds there. You know, it's got the big sign in the background, neon, and it holds their you know their brand identity, and it's it's very nice. And there's some seating also. I was by the the window um, 
just on a, a counter, but there is some a, a, a dining room to the side of some some seats you can eat in. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's perfect for a fabulous nosh. Interesting tidbit. So Russian Daughters has been appetizing since 1914. So they now have four locations. Um, and there's the shop in the cafe in the Lower East Side. There's yep. the spot in Brooklyn. And this is on 34th Street on the West Side. Personal fun fact, I've been to all the locations except for the one in Brooklyn. I haven't been to it. It's in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And they're doing, uh, they do group tours there and class field trips. And you can apparently watch where they make the baked goods. It's like Mm -hmm. a big facility. So I have to get out there. And that's where their offices are, where they ship nationwide. So the cost of this meal was $34, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Of course. Their website is russanddaughters.com and Instagram at russanddaughters. There you go. I figured I'd tie into yeah, uh, places great. that have been around for a while. They're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting to see to see their brand grow, and yet they, they still hold on to their identity. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So. Okay. So it's time for the final question. So okay. My next guest is Adam Reese. Yeah. He is the owner of Adam Reese Company, which is focuses on strategic financial consulting, business plans, openings, and industry investments. He's also a partner in Itani Ramen in Oakland, California, and Crew in Brooklyn. And he's on the board of Heritage Radio Network as the treasurer. So I'm excited to chat with him. So Ari, can you please ask a question for Adam? Well, he has a lot going on. Uh, As you do. (laughs) I guess my question, having thought about it, is just... I mean, A, kudos on all you're doing, and B, how can I be of help? Oh, well, that's such a sweet question. (laughs) And I'm not surprised to hear that from you. Um, I will find out. We're going to do the interview back at our studio in Brooklyn, in the backyard of of Roberta's. So um, that will be exciting. And this has been incredibly exciting to be on location with you at your Zingerman's headquarters Ask, I guess you'd call it. Uh, we call it Zingerman Southside. Zingerman Southside. Good anarchistic fashion. There's no headquarters. <laughs> I don't of even course. have an office. You don't have an office. Well, this is a lovely office. It's, yeah. Um, it's not good in January, but right now it's awesome. No, but I have to say, so I grew up in Miami, and when going to Michigan, everyone asked me, like, what are you, you know, why are you yeah. here? And of course, like, great school, great food, yeah. great sports, great town. Um, but I feel coming to school here and now I've been living up north for a while that it's, um, I appreciate the seasons give me much yeah. more appreciation for the beautiful days and the sunshine uh, and the 100%. warmth. So they say in San Diego, you don't appreciate it. Well, grow up in Miami. I don't know. I think I was spoiled. I think, yeah, Los yes, Angeles, but, sense, uh, but I also kind of think back and I'm like, how did I how did I get to class when it was that cold and move around? Bundled up like we all do. Bundled up. And that's the show. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Congratulations on all of your success and everything you've achieved and brought to the world with Zingerman's and all of your businesses. And I can't wait to see what you do next and to keep coming back to Ann Arbor because you're main reason why I come here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Hopefully we'll continue all that for a long time to come and I'd, I'd, you know I feel incredibly fortunate just 
for having ended up in a line of work that I really love and all these great people I get to work with and I think it's very uh, enjoyable for us to be able to work in such an amazing ecosystem like Ann Arbor is and really in a industry that is so generous and just there's, there's so much generosity in the business and I don't think that's the norm in a lot of industries but in our industry at least in my end of it it's proven to be truth since the day we opened and I hope it stays that way. Yeah no it's true and I think some people do fall into their career like I feel in a sense for me it was a little that way and I went I moved to Chicago after here and then to New York so kind of like the opposite of you, but um, I'm glad you found what you do and bring what you're doing to the world. So congratulations and thank you so much for your time. So let's see if I get this right now. My guest today has been Ari Weinsweig. Woohoo! He's the radical CEO and co-founding partner of the Zingerman's Community of Businesses. So where can people find you? Yes. Well, they can find me right now sitting with you out (laughs) front of Zingerman's Coffee Company. But uh, so people are welcome to email me directly. It's fine, Ari at Zingermans.com. Uh, I'm not really on social. We're on social media. I looked I'm for not you on social. on social. Well, it's it's back to your time management question. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I never look at it, but rarely. Uh, there's only so many things you can do in your life. It's very uh, time no, consuming. No judgment, <laughs> but it's not my priority. But I do write uh, this e-news every week. It's my uh, introvert's version of social media, so people can uh, email me and I'll send it back to them and they can sign up. Uh, it comes out every week and the first piece is usually on leadership or business or life and the other four on food uh, each week and then a the little music wreck at the bottom because I listen to a lot of music. And then uh, the books were kind of off the grid, so basically like the farm-to-table version of books. I didn't enjoy big publishing, no disrespect to those who are in it or who use it, but uh, this has worked well for me and for us. So we do all the work here uh, internally. We obviously employ editors that don't work here per se, but uh, and then we print locally in Ann Arbor. We're off of Amazon, and uh, so people can order them from us, singermanspress.com. If anybody's listening who has an independent bookshop, love to wholesale to you. Uh, zingtrain.com has all our training stuff. Uh, and then zingermans.com is the best place for mail order. Wonderful. So, or better yet, come visit. Better yet, come visit. I'll be at the roadhouse most evening pouring water regardless of where I end up. Well, I'm going to have to day. check out the roadhouse because I have not been oh, there. Oh, come on. I'll be there tonight. All right. Well, thank you so much. Okay, this has been such you. a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You can follow me as Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Check out my new book, ChefWise Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden. It's now available wherever books are sold. It features over 100 chefs around the world. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Ari and to his publicist, Ali. I'm your host and producer and author, Sherry Bayer. I will be back with a new show next week. I hope you'll tune in then. And thank you, as always, for being part of all in the industry. Go Blue.
All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.